This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The Oscars are coming up this weekend, and there's one group you won't see much of older actors. We'll speak with two authors of a study who say this year's Academy Awards should be dubbed Oscars So Young. And have you noticed you get less sleep now than when you were younger? If you think that's just a normal part of aging, think again. We'll talk to a sleep doctor in a few minutes. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Canadians born in 2030 will live longer by a few years, to age 84 for a man and 87 for a woman. That's according to a new study out of the UK that projects life expectancies in 35 industrialized countries. In the Imperial College of London's study, South Korea tops the list, saying that women who are born in 2030 will live to be nearly 91 years of age. Canadian men rank fourth on the list, up one position from the previous study. But Canadian women have dropped to 10th from number 8. There are no official numbers, but a study done by CNN shows that between 2013 and 2016, more than 1,000 nursing homes in the United States were cited for failing to report or mishandling allegations of rape, sexual abuse, or sexual assault. 10% of those homes have been cited on more than one occasion. According to the report, a quarter of the cases involved health care aides but the majority dealt with residents abusing other residents. One Minnesota lawyer who has defended several abuse victims and their families calls it an epidemic. A teen idol from the 1970s says he is suffering from dementia. David Cassidy of the Partridge family recently had been performing when he started to slur, forget lyrics, and stumble on stage. The 66-year-old confirmed the worst on Monday, saying he knew this would likely happen and that he would no longer tour. Cassidy now says he'll stay focused on enjoying life. Zoomer acting legend Tom Hanks is bringing back the typewriter. The 60-year-old Oscar winner owns more than 100 vintage typewriters and is publishing a book called Uncommon Type, Some Stories. The book features 17 stories, each involving a different typewriter. The book will come out in October. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Last year, activists brought change to the Academy Awards with the hashtag Oscars so white, referring to a lack of racial diversity among the nominees. It seems to have worked with films like Fences and Hidden Figures, movies that celebrate diversity, at the forefront with nominations in several major categories. This year, the target is a different diversity problem, age. I talked with Dr. Catherine Pieper and Mark Schwiti from the University of Southern California. Mark Schwiti and Catherine Pieper, thanks for joining us. It's great to be on. Thanks great. for having us. Why is it important to look at the number of older people portrayed in nominated Hollywood films? Uh, yeah, well, that's a great question. We partnered with Humana on this study, and we thought it was really uh, important to take a look at senior characters, particularly given the conversation around inclusion in Hollywood more generally. There's a lot of talk about women, uh, people of color, the LGBT community, people with disabilities, but age hadn't really factored into the conversation. And along with Humana, we were really interested to take a look at how seniors were portrayed in these movies. And what did you find? Well, taking a look at the 25 Best Picture nominated films that we looked at from 2014, 2015, and 2016, of the 1,256 speaking characters that we evaluated, only 11.8% were seniors or were 60 years of age or older. And considering that in the United States, they represent about a fifth of the U.S. population, um, we found that they're you know, underrepresented compared to their proportion in the population. Isn't Hollywood notorious for ignoring older people, especially older women? I mean, the word is that, you know, once you're 35 or maybe 40, you're washed up as a female in Hollywood. Well, we do consistently find uh, that the percentage of uh, particularly female characters um, does decline after about age 40. So, yes, this is not necessarily uh, something completely unexpected. But, again, it's really important to think about this in terms of the conversation that's been happening in Hollywood with regard to including people from all different backgrounds in film. And in particular, when you look at senior characters and the demographics of those seniors, we do see fewer senior females. We see fewer seniors from underrepresented racial or ethnic groups. Only about 10.1% of the seniors in our sample uh, were from one of these, these backgrounds. Uh, and not one senior was from the LGBT community. So we think this is really uh, important to take a look not only at seniors in general, but specifically at uh, an inter intersectional look at how seniors are depicted. Of the characters that were portrayed, how were they portrayed? Another really interesting question. So we took a look at several different uh, aspects of how seniors were portrayed, and we found that in terms of prestigious occupations, we looked at across industries at seniors who had what we call high clout or prestigious jobs. Um, we found that about 34% of seniors had the, this level of employment, and the majority uh, overwhelmingly were males. And we found that there were quite a few uh, ageist comments, or quite a few of the films had ageist comments which were demeaning or derogatory references in a number of different categories about seniors. Can you give us an example, please? Yes. For instance, in one film, a character, you know, was told to just sit there and let Alzheimer's run its course. So we're seeing when it comes to senior characters, their age is pointed out in reference to things such as their health, their movement, their cognition, their senses in a negative way. And that's problematic. Is aging portrayed in a realistic or a positive way at all? 
Well, it's, I mean, I think looking across this sample and, and our previous study of, of popular films, which we also did in partnership with Humana, I think what we see is that really the picture of seniors on screen doesn't look like the picture of seniors that, that we see in the U.S. You know, there's incredible diversity in terms of gender, race, ethnicity among seniors. Um, we see different health issues than, than what's portrayed in films. And really f- looking at these ageist comments um, and the stereotyping that those, those evoke, that's really what we see on screen that's so different than and what we see in real life. Last year when we saw that whole Oscars so white protest, it seems to have really had an impact. Certainly when we look at this year's Oscar nominations, What's the kind of reaction you've had so far to this? Well, in terms of that impact, we wanted to look closely at um, what was going on with underrepresented characters given that controversy. And we looked at characters that happened to be under 60, 59 and under, and we did see in 2016 that 38.2% of characters were underrepresented, which is almost matching the uh, census figures for the United States. But unfortunately, seniors are left out of that inclusion increase, and we only saw, you know, sample why 10.1% of seniors being underrepresented. So the opportunity is there to increase diversity for those senior characters, given that 59 and under, they were diverse, but we still have a ways to go for that to be the case. Mark Sweetie and Catherine Pieper, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was Dr. Catherine Pieper and researcher Mark Sweetie. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. When was the last time you slept like a baby? People seem to think that having trouble sleeping is a normal part of aging. It isn't but it is certainly more common as we get older. I reached Dr. Ariel Green, a geriatrician and assistant professor at Johns Hopkins University. So I wouldn't say it's normal not to sleep well as people get older. It is more common that people report sleeping difficulties, but it's not a normal part of aging. And so why does it happen? So there's a variety of reasons. Many medical conditions that are more common with aging can lead to sleeping difficulties. I think that's the biggest reason. So, for example, restless leg syndrome, chronic pain, urinary incontinence, depression, all of these things are more common with aging and they can all lead to sleeping difficulties. There's also medications that we use to treat many common health problems that can also be associated with sleep difficulties. Such as? So, for example, treatments that we use for asthma or other breathing problems can increase the heart rate and cause people to feel more sort of awake and have trouble sleeping. Also diuretics or fluid pills that are commonly used for heart failure or leg swelling cause people to have to use the bathroom more. And if we give those too close to bedtime, they can cause people to be up all night running to the bathroom. How do you deal with that? As a geriatrician, a big part of my job is looking at all of the medications a person is taking, specifically if they're having trouble sleeping, asking them when they're taking those medicines. So often we will tell people, you know, take this medicine every 12 hours, but we can adjust that a little bit. So if someone is taking their fluid pill right at bedtime, we can 
ask them to take it a few hours earlier in the late afternoon, for example, so it's not right before bed. Does that usually fix the problem? Adjusting medicines can be very helpful. One thing alone frequently doesn't completely solve the problem. So it often involves a little bit of tinkering to to get things just right. Now, a lot of people believe that as you get older, you need less sleep. Is that true? It's not true that you need less sleep. I think what is true is that sleep patterns change with aging. So sleep can become more fragmented and you don't need a certain number of hours. And I think that people often hear or read that you need seven to eight hours of sleep a night, and then they become worried about it if they're not sleeping that many hours, and that worry can lead them to have even more difficulty sleeping. The amount of, of sleep that you need really is the amount that makes you feel rested and able to function well the next day. So it may be five to six hours, for example. So you would tell people not to stress about the amount of sleep they get? Right. Yeah. I tell people that all the time because it's so, I think we see that so often that you, you know, in health magazines and things that you need eight hours of sleep a night and, and relaxing and sort of re, well, I would just say relaxing about these perceptions we have of sleep is a big part of sleeping better. What about depression or anxiety or things like that? So that is a big thing that I think is under-recognized, especially with aging, that can affect sleep negatively. So that's definitely something I look for in patients. You know, I'll ask people, so many losses are part of aging, loss of spouses and friends. And, you know, many people are able to be very active and do all sorts of things as they age. But some people find that they have health problems or other reasons why they can't do all of the things that they used to love doing. And so I'll often ask people, do you find yourself awake at night because you're thinking about things that make you sad or thinking about things that make you worried? And that often does come up. We can often improve sleep by addressing these underlying problems like depression or anxiety or pain or other things that may be restless legs, other things that may be keeping people up at night. I understand there's some innovative new treatments. So as a geriatrician, I tend to be cautious about innovative new treatments. And I would say that often the sleeping pills that are touted as as innovative and new and safe, I would be very cautious about those. So for example, the medicines, which we sort of classify as the Z drugs. So these are things like Zolpidem or Ambien or Lunesta or Sonata. These are often in the ads, they, you know, purport to be safer than the older medicines for sleep. And I would just tell people to be cautious about those because we're finding more and more in large studies where they look at, you know, thousands of people over 65 who take these medicines that they really have just as harmful side effects as older classes of sleep medicines. We find that these medicines actually have the opposite effect, so they're consistently linked to higher risk of falls, fractures, hospitalizations, car accidents, memory problems, all of these things that people are really worried about with aging. And the medicines are also not in studies. They've not been found to be that effective, so they actually only cause people to sleep on average for 15 to 20 more minutes per night. Things like avoiding heavy meals at night. We all tend to eat a heavy meal, our heaviest meal of the day at night, but that can interfere with sleep or minimizing 
liquids at night. We try to have people, we say, stop drinking so much after about 5 p.m., limiting naps during the day and getting a good amount of light exposure and gentle exercise during the day. All of these things, you know, keeping iPhones and iPads out of your bedroom, keeping your, your room dark. Studies always show that those changes actually work better than medicines. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Ariel Green. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Dr. Ariel Green from Johns Hopkins University. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, one of the first rock and roll artists celebrates his 89th birthday this weekend. More on Fats Domino after this. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Collectors Ian and Mercedes Stoutsker have loaned their private collection of 20th century English art to the National Museum in Cardiff. Mercedes began collecting during the early careers of some of Britain's best-known contemporary artists. The Bacon to Doig exhibition features works by the likes of Bacon, Freud, and Hockney. Meantime, the most famous of all American paintings is now on display in the UK for the first time ever. Grant Wood's 1930 masterpiece, American Gothic, is the star of a show at the Royal Academy of Arts in London. In New York, a rather different version of Sweeney Todd wrapping up previews off-Broadway. This particular production originated at a pie and mash shop in London in 2014. It's at the Barrow Street Theatre. And in Sarasota, Florida, the Ringling Museum of Art presents A Feast for the Senses, a major exhibition that brings together more than 100 European works, including tapestries and paintings on loan from major institutions in Europe as well as the U.S., I'm Bob Kopsick with your International Arts Datebook. This week, Antoine Domino Jr., better known as Fats Domino, is celebrating his 89th birthday. The American pianist, singer, and songwriter is credited as a pioneer of both pop and rock and roll music. Born and raised in New Orleans, his career began in the late 1940s when he began playing with local bands in the French Quarter. His 1950 single, The Fat Man, gave him national attention and is now considered to be one of the first rock and roll records. For the next few years, he released a number of successful singles, but it was a 1955 hit written by Domino that made him a star. The song reached the top 40 Billboard charts and was the first of 37 of his songs to do so. It's since been covered by countless artists, including Pat Boone, whose version became a number one hit. But right now we'll hear the original as recorded by Fats Domino. Here is Ain't That a Shame. You made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? That was Fats Domino with Ain't That a Shame. Domino is celebrating his 89th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week 
when we tell you more about the increase in life expectancy. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.